I was feeling fear and a sense of, I can do this. So it was that feeling of despair and wait a minute, let me look at my resilience. And I decided to feed the resilience. Hi, I'm Richard Ralston. Welcome to Focus on Progress, the podcast for you, the online business owner who wants to see more progress in your business, in your life, and in the lives of those you lead. Imagine as a child growing up on a staple diet of baked spaghetti. This was Irma Jennings' childhood. However, something in her was fascinated with food and cooking. In her early years, she would go into the woods behind her home and play chef, making rock and dandelion soup. After taking cooking classes for decades, a very successful career on Wall Street, and her own health crisis, Irma became a health coach who now teaches women that food is the most effective way to prevent many ailments, including bone loss. Hi Irma, welcome to the podcast today. Hello Richard, I'm so happy to be here. Great to have you here and to uh, finally get to talk to you about what you're up to. Uh, in your business and in your life. So just to set the scene, can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what drives you, what you're passionate about, why you do what you do? What What is it that you do? I am a holistic bone coach. So what does that mean? I teach people how to navigate this very mysterious labyrinth of osteoporosis, osteopenia, what you can do, how, most importantly, how you can feed your bones, which is the first step solution. So that is what I do as far as a health coach. That's really fascinating. And so you work as a health coach. Do you just have one-on-one clients or? I have found that working with a group within a group environment is most beneficial because there is the cross networking. No, the cross conversation about the fears and the denial and the next step that is often supported as others hear the struggle of other members. So I do a group, I have a a membership, and then I also do one-on-one. Before COVID, I did a lot of cooking classes, and I used to actually go to people's houses and do larger events, cooking classes, and teaching people all the nuances on how simply they can eat or feed their bones. Right, and that's the key there, because I remember when I met you, you were talking about what you did, with helping people create healthy or build healthy bones. And then you started to talk about cooking. And there was this big disconnect in my head, but you've kind of summed it up at the end there about how to feed your bones. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I was thinking about our conversation today and I was thinking, where did it all begin? So I'd like to go there for a moment, if I can, Richard. When I think about the memory of of my childhood i used to disappear into the woods behind our home and make rock soup with dandelion leaves and dandelion heads and delicious very very delicious things and they stir it and stir it and stir it it was i felt very creative then and then from there i thought about food now i grew up with a family that didn't think about food in fact our our staple was um, baked spaghetti, which is just disaster. It's, it's exactly like a brick. You take spaghetti, you cook it for 24 hours, you use like Campbell's soup, a little Velveeta cheese on top of it, some bacon, and you have it for the week. Oh so my. that was my, my go-to. <laughs> so I didn't really know about food until I started taking cooking classes, which I did for decades, because there was so much to learn about how to cook, how to store spices. So, but then I got interested in, well, where does our food come from? So I started taking classes in biodynamic gardening and agriculture, which really blew my mind. Uh, When we think about 
what does it take for a farmer to actually cultivate the land and rotate the land and to deal with the the husbandry of of the of the land the the animals that he's raising or he or she and the more i got into that and i saw the the energy of biodynamic food and we had to do it was a year-long course that we had taken and we had to grow things conventionally you know with with herbicides and pesticides organically and then biodynamically which is a whole deep science about spirituality and where the moon cycle is very very detailed and intense and um i mean i could go on and on about that how to make um these um, recipes that tended to the soil that were just mind-boggling where you take fascinating ear and you know this goes on and on and and how you take the full animal and then recycle the full animal back into the earth so i took that class i grew the the vegetables in three different components and i saw the life force energy of the biodynamic food and i thought there's a lot to this the vibration of the food and the color was abundantly clear to me so i really wanted to focus on well if this is important how can i teach my clients to get away from conventional foods and how can it be done in an affordable way because the first line of defense is oh no no i can't afford it so i wrote a blog post i wrote a blog post of uh, my food stamp challenge where i showed people how you can eat for four this is us dollars four dollars and 52 cents a day and i did it for two weeks with my kitchen mate and we had very very healthy bone loving foods there so it's doable. It's very doable on a limited budget. Now that the organic world has grown and you can buy organic veggies that are frozen, there's all sorts of workarounds now to make it very, very affordable. Mm. So it was not only learning about the food and what the food does and can we get calcium from our food, but how is the food grown? And and I'm an animal protein eater. And how are the animals tended to? And what are the animals eating? All these things are were very, very important as I dove into this. Now, this goes back to the 70s and the 80s where my curiosity was. And then I went to school to study this more deeply. But I, I am amazed. Here's a, a point that I just learned. In the United States, the majority of farmers do not make a profit. Now, mm. unless you're big agriculture and then mm-hmm. your subsidies here are between 25 and depending on the year who's in office, 25 to $50 billion a year to support agriculture. And this is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about monocrops. We're talking about the small farmers that don't use pesticides that actually live in our bones and we can't get them out of our muscles and our tissues and our bones. They start growing and growing and we keep feeding them these little microdoses of of the herbicides and the pesticides and it impacts the bones and it impacts Mm. our life. So how do we get more vibration from our food? How do we love our food? Even if you don't like to cook, those are my best clients. They don't like to cook. I didn't really like to cook when I first started. In fact, I have to tell you quickly, Richard, I had a I had a dinner party with some colleagues that I used to work with. I used to work on Wall Street and I was working on a dish for days. And I was so proud. They came to the house, they sat at the table, it was a properly set table. They put the spoon to their mouth and they said, Oh, Irma, this tastes like dog food. So it was just a real setback. And I realized, <laughs> Yeah, right? Dog food. And um, you know, with beef bourguignon, I thought it was going to be perfect. But you know, there were all these little hiccups along the way to learn. You have to throw things out, and you have to keep trying again. So that's what it's all about. Right. So, so when was that? When did that happen? So, so there's sounds like there's a gap here bef- between when you were a child and growing up and making yes. beautiful dandelion soup, and then yes. getting fascinated in cooking and taking mm-hmm. cooking classes. 
and then you jumped to Wall Street. What What's going on in there? Yeah, I jumped to Wall Street because it was all about money and um, power. And I had that opportunity in the 70s. So I did that. I worked in a man's world where um, it was very problematic to get recognized. But I was mm. determined. I was determined. And I was going to claw my way through that that hole. And I did. And I had a very long I had 23 years on Wall Street. It was a successful career. What, but it what, left were, you me do, what were you actually doing? I was in the institutional bond market. So this is in our markets here in the United States. We did municipal bonds, which are, is, are loans that make bridges and tunnels and basically the infrastructure of schools and libraries. So we were funding the debt for these various municipalities. And then I was selling them to institutions. So it was very interesting and very fun. And I learned as I went and I, my training was on the street. So it was fascinating to be around very empowered men uh, who knew the ropes and wanted to teach me. So that was where it started. But Richard, then I started bringing my lunch to work. I started working at an organization that had a kitchen. So I was able to cook my lunch. So, at work. so you're back to cooking again. Back to cooking again. There's right. a theme here. Yes. Yes. I'm back to cooking again. And when I would come out with my quinoa and my beautifully cooked steak and my asparagus and people would just with their forks, like, can I taste just a little? And what is that? What is this quinoa stuff? So it was just, you know, a fun time. I was grateful that I had a kitchen that I could work in. So then from there, I just, I, I got sick. I got very, very sick with the stress and the Life was falling apart, so I had a number of health crises. I had oh my. debilitating migraines that sent me to the hospital. I had uh, an ulcer. I was diagnosed with an ulcer and gut issues. And then I was diagnosed with osteopenia. And that was when I was 50. And I was given really one choice, which was take the medicine. And I said, I'm going to see what I could do first. And that's where the deep dive into the marrow of my own bones started and I really started focusing in on bone health. So my diagnosis helped me go deeper into that. Right. So, so what were you doing at the point that you were diagnosed with this medical condition? The combination of things or the osteopenia? Well, where, where were you working at the time? So, so what, what happened? Because that sounds like it was a real pivotal point. The interesting thing about a diagnosis such as migraines or ulcer, it's an accumulative aspect that the body finally says, okay, that's enough. That is enough. And that is enough came around right around the same time that the osteopenia uh, diagnosis came out. This is right after menopause for me. So I, as I said, I was in my fifties. Um, but I, I was leaving Wall Street behind. I had left Wall Street behind and went back to school, but I didn't and when you leave something behind, it's not like closing the door and then it's done. It's like, oh, I had the accumulation of the stress, of the smoking at the desk, of drinking coffee, of working late hours, of a marriage that was falling apart. Uh, you know, and it goes on and on and on. And then it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. So you had this diagnosis and all you were given then was the medicine. Yes. And that's often the case. And those are typically my clients. They've been diagnosed and then they're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I only have one choice. They tell me I'm going to be crippled. I'm going to break my bones if I go to tie my shoes. And 
I'm going to trip down the stairs. You know, this is a very, very serious diagnosis. Osteopenia is a precursor to osteoporosis. So it's not the full-blown osteoporosis, but the fear comes no matter what piece of that diagnosis you get. And, and you felt that fear? Oh, I totally felt that fear because that's exactly what my, it was my gynecologist that gave me the DEXA test, which is the bone mineral density test. And who said, you only have one choice. I've heard you only have one choice from several doctors. You only have one choice. You have high cholesterol. You have to go on statins. I was like, oh, I'm going to see if I could work around that. You only have one choice. You have to take the bone meds. I was like, I'm going to give it a try and really worked quite hard at it. So... So what were you thinking? What were you feeling at that point in time? Two things. I was feeling fear and a sense of, I can do this. So it was that feeling of despair and, wait a minute, let me look at my resilience. And I decided to feed the resilience that is not always easy to feed uh, because the fear has a very, very big voice. And I just wanted to not not go down the rabbit hole of medication. So that's so, what I was feeling. But I was feeling very isolated, I have to tell you. Where did that feeling of isolation come from, do you think? Because I didn't have anybody to turn to. I only had the doctor that told me what I had. I didn't even know what osteopenia was. It was like, wow. wait a minute. What, what, huh? So I needed to do research and then do my homework tend to my bones, feed the marrow of my bones, and then create community so we can then grow and learn together and create all these incredible recipes. So, I mean, this is over a long period of time. Right. But that, oh, it, it only it didn't happen in a couple of weeks. You know, you're wrong. It, 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 it did happen in just a couple of weeks. Oh, of course it did. Of course it did. So so you get this diagnosis. Uh, yeah. Your The doctor tells you that, and, and several doctors are telling you, that the only option that you really have is medication. And and that's not what you want to do. Right. And so you go through this whole kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe internal crisis of fear. What do I do next? And then you decide to go back to school. Yes. Yes. I went back to school. So so what helped you make that decision? I mean, that, that must have been a hard decision. It would be much, much easier to have just said, OK, I'll take the medicine. Curiosity. Um, I, I knew that there was much more. I knew that there's a side of me that says, I can figure this out. So I think I was leaning into resilience and the I can figure it out camp and my incredible curiosity. I knew that food was medicine. I knew that food was medicine. I'll tell you, the first time I knew that food was medicine, if I may, I was with my son. He was, in the, he was five years old. He went to a sleepaway camp on a biodynamic farm. I was the class mother that took the class. Four o'clock in the morning, I was awakened as the farm was waking up. And I was like, I don't know what this is. I lived in New York City. I don't know what this sound is. It wasn't really a very overt sound. I'm used to sirens and maybe gunshots, loud mute boom boxes. I'm used to that kind of noise. This was a silent noise, but it was there. So I put on my bathrobe, went outside, and there it was. The farm life was waking up. The chickens were scratching the earth. The farmers were gently milking the cows. And I thought to myself, this is it. This is the cycle of life. This is food as medicine. It just, it was the whisper. It was the whisper that started it. So that was the seed that was planted that got me to go to school. So even though I was leaning towards my curiosity, 
It was planted so long ago, that whisper. Interesting. And uh, yeah, I've just had a experience this week of that uh, quiet whisper, that intuition, uh, that fleeting thought that we don't take notice of. And uh, I won't give you all the details, but it turns out I wish I had taken notice of it because uh, it happened about 10 days ago, it would have been the last opportunity for me to talk to a friend of mine. And uh, I just reminded that that those little random thoughts, random ideas, little quiet voice, they're just so important to take notice of. And so you had this experience of the farm waking up, and it obviously had a huge impression on you, bigger than you realized at the time. And that comes back to you when you're thinking, am I going to take the meds or am I going to do something else? Can I figure this out? And and that thought comes back to you. It was so subtle. And I think I really appreciate what you had just shared about your friend, because we never know when that moment will go and will mm. never happen again. We mm. never know that. So the, the, the courage to listen to those whispers versus, oh, no, come on, stop. I'm too busy. I can't. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go left. I have to go straight. Right. No, it's a much bigger conversation that we're part of and blessed by mm. if we open up our eyes and ears to hear those whispers or to see them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you go to school. What, what is it you're now studying at school? I'm studying food from a bunch of different traditional and ancient philosophical approaches. So we're, so we're back to food again. Oh, it's always about food. It's always about food. So um, traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic philosophy, and then more the current, the Pritikin diet and the Atkins diet. The paleo was not in full bloom then, but it was more about the Atkins diet. So all different approaches, uh, vegan, vegetarian. Yeah, it was all, all about food. It was a two-year course. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that ended up with an immersion in India that we were all there together for three weeks to study. Talking wow. about whispers. Whispers, boy, India, a lot of whispers there. Wow, interesting. And so now, so I assume you qualified. And what did you do after that? Well, I started um, putting my shingle up and, and invited people to hire me as their health coach. So they did. They did. I was working primarily private then and, and doing private cooking classes. But I, I like the diversity of a larger crowd of a group. So that started shifting over time. I still do a lot of individual work, but when we're all together at the table, boy, does that feel good. There's something that really feeds us all in that moment when we're together. Yeah, yeah, community. That's and, right. and eating together in community is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Truly. So while there's a lot in there, if you were able to kind of summarize some of those things, or, or maybe maybe not summarize, maybe tell us some of the key points, you know, what did you learn about overcoming challenges, making progress, moving forward from all of that? Well, I learned that my default is victim. Ah. And when the victim would come up, I would look at that and dance with it for a little while, maybe have a little you know, a little pissy conversation with it and then let it unfold and then look what's underneath that. And then what was underneath that 
was courage. So it was about what is my next tiny step? <laughs> right. And, and to actually figure it out, try to figure it out and to engage others who were smarter and more experienced in this area than I, and to welcome advice and to grow from that point of view. But it was really, you know, one foot in front of the other foot, getting, allowing the victim to speak and then saying, okay, thank you. You can go now because I don't want to, you know, we all have that voice. Now, this is different than the whisper because the voice that often second guesses our decisions. So I personally had to go through massive change. I had I was under a very stressful environment. So I lived in New York City for 37 years. I had a, a long Wall Street career. I had a long marriage. It all had to go. And I don't say this like one, two, three. It was like it was a very slow, painful process of coming into reality of like, wow, this is a real you know, this is a fork in the road. And do I have the courage to do this? So each time it's like, well, here comes the victim. Well, wait a minute, I can't, I can't stay in this career. Wait, I can't stay in this marriage. Wait, I can't stay in that to really listen to what my body was telling me. Because when the body speaks, well, body speaks, it's, it's important to listen. It's the whispers. So the big change had to happen and it did. And I feel so much more empowered now, so much more alive. And life is life is good. Life is good. Yeah. So uh, this is interesting. You you peeled back the layers of the victim. Yeah. And you it's discovered awesome. courage underneath. Can, mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit more about courage? I mean, I, I think we'd all like to be courageous people. How did you develop the courage to make the changes that you felt you needed to make? I think it started by looking at, this might not connect, so I'm gonna walk you through this. Looking at the injustice, especially in New York City, we had a lot of homeless people in the 70s and 80s, and we were stepping over people that we didn't have homes. And that's like, this is, this is wow. unthinkable. You know, the, 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 the pantries that were inundated with tons and tons of people. This is before COVID. So I looked at the injustices and I thought this, I think that that was the fire that helped me, um, that ignited my courage. So it, it sounds disconnected, but I think it goes back to where are the injustices? Where are the injustices in the food world? Where are the injustices within the farmers? You know, how can I support my farmers? So courage, I don't know. It's it sounds like there's something in you that wanted to fight for something bigger than what you were being told or just the status quo or the way things are something you some change that you wanted to fight for where, where does that come from in you yeah yeah that that wanting to fight for change um is very much alive where did it come from oh i think probably a dysfunctional family and childhood growing up where i just thought that this is all wrong and i could do it differently or better maybe um i often turn to uh, some of the archetypes that i refer to i i like athena i like um joan of arc i like some of the very dynamic women i mean even some of the women that are quietly in the background uh, became very important figures for me to look at and sit with um and even some of the men um nelson mandela incredible human being um what so, what is it about them that inspires you well 
So Nelson Mandela, for example, he was in prison for 25 years and he came out with a positive attitude, not the victim, not I'm going to get them. How can I bring change? So when I think about the trajectory of my life of discontent, it's like, well, I could have soured. You know, I could have become one of those, oh, poor thing. Look at Irma. She used to be this and now she's just soured. So I didn't, I didn't want to do that. So Joan of Arc, you know, just going up against all those levels of resistance. And um, I think that that's what it is. You know, when a resistance is presented, it's like, well, who's resist? Oh, where is this coming from? Is it coming from my own insecurity? Or is it coming from an outside force that says, no, Irma, you're on Wall Street, you're a woman, you cannot do that. But I can. I mean, it's an old story now because more and more women are coming into equal power. But, you know, it was laying the groundwork for our sisters as, as time changes. So I, I think it's about the injustices that I saw. Yeah, I, I mean, you could say it's an old story, but for many people, it's very real for them. Even in our own personal lives, we come up against challenges. Yeah. And the yeah. question is, how are we going to work through those challenges? How, what, what is in it? What, do we have the courage to go and do what we need to do? Do we have the resilience to stick with the consequences of our decisions? Yeah. And, and you seem like somebody who has, has, has figured or is figuring that out. I don't want to say it was a straight line, though. It's not like, oh, I took my vitamin C today, courage, and I can just go straight away. Um, it, 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 it's a drip. It's a drip. And it's, you're walking along and boom, you get slapped down and, okay, let me get back up. And not easily, but yes, I can do this. And I still have two legs and walking along a little bit more. Oh, there's another hiccup in the road. Um, but it's the having the vision uh, of the end goal. Um, where do I want to be? How do I want to help my sisters who are now being diagnosed and in a fear-based moment of denial? How can I help them? So you have a vision I hear you saying you have a vision of how you'd like the world to be, and it sounds like you're on a mission to impact the world somehow. Yes, I am. I'm on a mission to impact people that whatever they put in their mouth, whatever's on the end of their fork matters, and let's take it back even further. Where are the farmers? Do you know your farmers? And if you live in an urban environment, can you go and visit your farmers? Can you get to know your farmers? Because they are feeding you. They're the seed of existence. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No pun intended, but there's a lot of food for thought in this discussion. Uh, wow. Okay. So, so what are you working on now? What what happens in your day to day business with the people that you're working with now? My business has morphed a little bit because now now I can help people. I clearly have identified the calcium rich foods. I did a lot of time working and created these charts that I I give to my clients. And now it's about looking at resistance in people and helping them break down their walls of resistance. So I'm, I'm studying further. I've, I've done so much studying in the world of food, but now I'm studying positive intelligence to see what can we do when a roadblock hits. Many of my clients know that they have to go and get various tests and they just don't do it because life is busy. And I get that, but life is always busy. And mm -hmm. how do I help you prioritize you and your needs? It's not about being selfish. It's about how do we move? How do we move into 
real progress for your own health. Because do you want to dance into your 90s? I mean, that's really the question. One of the questions. And if you want well, to dance into the 90s, yeah. It, how do you do that? How do you take the steps that really take care of yourself? How, you know, your sleep hygiene, your, your eating hygiene, your, your relationships, your love life. How do you love yourself? You know, there are so many uh, layers to this. So I, I am wanting to build the marrow of their bones, not only through food and through conversation, but also helping them move forward and make really fundamental changes in their life. So it starts with a fork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so what do you see the future holds? For the world or for me? Oh, for you. I see my community growing. My community is based on not me being the teacher, but me being the guide and to continue to help others help others. I see a continued growth of that. I see more and more people that I want to interview for my Bones tribe to come in and to teach. There's so many things to teach. So I feel that my community will grow with time. My business has expanded, so I now have brought in a virtual assistant and somebody who's going to help me with my website and marketing because that becomes a, um, uh, it's so hard. It's so hard to do it all. So, so many things. Yeah. They'll learn how to delegate. I think that's also important. Learn how to delegate. You know, the mom that, that has no time but has to pick up their child from soccer because more and more younger women are being diagnosed with osteopenia and osteoporosis. So they don't have time. They have to pick up their child from soccer game. Well, how about, you know, getting a carpool together? How can we reach out to community to help us support each other? So that sounds so, so insignificant, but it's really key. So then you can take a breath and have a little bit more time for yourself. I have yeah. a lot of dynamic women that have very successful careers and they're stressed. They're terribly stressed. So helping them manage that as well, looking at their own stress levels. Yeah, wonderful. Wonderful. Irma, this has been incredible to chat with you about this today and open up a whole nother area that I know is so important, but many of us just haven't thought about. You know, it doesn't necessarily impact our, our lives personally, except when it does. And it's just, it's fascinating having this discussion with you. If people want to, where can they connect with you? My website is foodforhealthybones.com. Great. We'll link to that in the show notes below. So just as we wrap up, considering all the things we've talked about in terms of how you've made progress and things you've worked through and, and courage and overcoming injustices and all those sorts of things, what one piece of advice would you like to leave us with today? Richard, I'm going to tell you the one piece of advice is um, your sage advice that you've given me, the tiny next step, because I was looking at goals and you helped me break down that nasty misunderstanding about progress. So the tiny next step has been very, very helpful in ways that I had no idea because I was thinking, oh, come on, this is so silly. I just have to do this. And then it opens up this whole big possibility of what the energy that is needed for the next project. Thank you, Emma. It's been wonderful talking with you today. Thanks so much. Take good care. Our discussion touched on so many interesting topics, but there was one in particular that really caught my attention. It was the comment Irma made when she talked about feeling fearful, yet somewhere deep inside she knew she was also resilient, and she chose to dig into her resilience. 
As I reflected on this, I found myself asking the question, what does it take to develop resilience? How do you develop the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties? Because it seems to me, especially as online business owners, that resilience is a characteristic we simply can't have too much of. A quick Google search brought up an article from the American Psychological Association titled, Building Your Resilience. It talks about four components that are core to building resilience. I want to talk about the first one here, intentionally build connections and prioritize relationships. The article's authors say, connecting with empathetic and understanding people can remind you that you're not alone in the midst of difficulties. It's definitely worth reading the whole article, but if all you take away from this episode is one idea, I hope it's the reminder to consistently connect and talk with trustworthy and compassionate individuals who believe in you. And when you need to, borrow the belief they have in you and use that as fuel to keep you moving forward. I believe you are the sort of person who can develop your resilience. As I'm sure you've realized, I'm passionate about helping people make progress. One of the ways I do this is through helping membership owners and course creators set up progress pod accountability groups that use the next tiny step method. If you'd like to find out more about our progress pod accountability group system and how it can help you increase your membership retention, go to richardrelston.com. There's a link in the show notes below. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Richard Ralston. And if you've heard something in this episode that you thought was interesting, helpful or valuable, I'd really appreciate it if you would take the next tiny step and head over to Apple Podcast and leave me a review over there. You might also like to share this podcast with a friend. And please remember to hit that subscribe button. And until next time, remember to use the next tiny step method to help you focus on progress because it's your tiny steps taken consistently over time that will enable you to produce massive results.